So our reading for this morning, our sermon text is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. You can turn to page 1047 in the Bible in front of you if you'd like to follow along. And I'll say a few words of introduction about this passage before we begin reading. First off, this is uh, it's Easter Sunday. What can I say? I mean, this is, the, this is the story of the empty tomb. And there's some wondering about what this empty tomb means. And that's kind of part of the message this morning is, what do people make of an empty tomb? Where does their mind go? We're going to look at that. Um, just before this reading, at the end of chapter 23, we hear about the death and the burial of Jesus. And there's a note that some of the women who had been following Jesus got together and planned to bring some spices to the tomb so that they could embalm his body, give it a proper burial. Um, however, as we read, as we've read on Good Friday and at other times, and um, even Katya, very good, this remembered that the, the legs of the other two people who were crucified on either side of Jesus were broken to hasten their death because this particular crucifixion took place on a Friday. And the Friday is the day before the Sabbath, but days start at sundown in that culture, not at sunrise or at midnight. We, we start our days at midnight, sort of. We actually start our days at 6, 7 in the morning. But their day started at sundown. And so the Sabbath was set to begin Friday when the sun set. And so there was this need to hasten, it says that out of respect for the Jews, that it was permitted that this crucifixion could be ended before the Sabbath began. It was out of propriety. It was out of respect for the people in that country. And so the, the deaths of the others two were hastened, and, but the death of Jesus, he died sooner than them, and they just made sure by uh, plunging the spear into his heart. And so what that means is this plan to embalm the body of Jesus had to wait. This is an important point. They could not do it because then after he died, the sun set and the Sabbath began. And you cannot do any work on the Sabbath. You cannot embalm a body on the Sabbath. And so they had to wait. And you could say to yourself, well, they had to wait 24 hours, right? So they could maybe do it once the Sabbath ended, Saturday evening when the sun set, right? However, then it's dark. And, and women don't, and actually at that time, a lot of people didn't want to walk around in the dark because it's not safe. And so they realized they had to wait until Sunday morning to find the body of Jesus and embalm his body in a proper way. So this is important. So we see that there's 36 hours, really, between when Jesus dies and when the women come, come to, uh, to, to give him a proper burial. So I want to focus on this idea that when they found the tomb empty, they began to wonder about what it meant. And People, people have been wondering about the empty tomb for a long time, not just then, but especially then. And in my mind, wondering about these things is a very powerful thing for us to do. It's actually the beginning of transformation. It's actually the beginning of a change in us is when we start to contemplate and when we start to wonder about why things happen and what has happened. And so we are transformed and our minds are engaged when there's a challenge in front of us. And there's really no bigger challenge than the miracle of the empty tomb. Because who hasn't wished for this miracle in your own life? 
Um, you, may, you may resonate with what I'm about to tell you, but my father died when I was 20 years old. He was way too young. He was 52 years old. I would have very vivid dreams afterwards that he was alive. They were so real. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I think some of you get that, right? Um, and then I would wake up, and I would, the reality would set back in again. And, and there were many bargaining moments. And indeed, bargaining, as you understand, is one of those stages of grief where you say, if only I could do this so I could get this person back. This is the miracle of all miracles, is to receive a dead person back from the grave and have them to live again. And it's one that we all pine for once we're confronted with the death of a loved one. But here it actually happened. And so sometimes a miracle is so big, it's just so big, that we can't wrap our minds around it right away. And I think that's what's going to happen in this passage here. That's what I want you to pay attention to as we read. Because we think of death as, as such a finality. That's how we're programmed to think about it. So this is really a stunning reversal and about how people process this big change. And so as we read, I want to ask you to put yourself in a place of the people then and try to imagine their surprise and wonder and even maybe some anxiety about why the tomb is empty. So let's go ahead with our reading, Luke 24, 1 through 12. And it goes like this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But... They did not believe the women, because their words seemed like them to nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask us to keep your Bible open. Go ahead and turn back into your Bible, and, and the kids can do this too. If you have another activity, that's fine. But I think children, you can, and I call you children, but you just seem like, I've known you for so long, I feel like you're like not quite children, but like young people. Like you're so with it. You, you know so much about the Scripture. So I, if you want to, I want the younger people to also follow along verse by verse as we go through this and start with uh, verse 1. Okay, so already we see that there was a plan, the continuing plan that was delayed by 36 hours or so to embalm the body of Jesus. They showed up, right? And so because they couldn't do it on Friday night, 
They couldn't do it all day Saturday, and by Saturday evening it was too dark. They had to wait until Sunday morning. They show up as early as they can, all right? The words say this. It says very early in the morning. So you, can you imagine how long this delay is for them? They want to go, and they want to take care of Jesus because they love him so. The women are much braver than the men. Have you noticed that in all these stories? The men run away. The women stay at the foot of the cross. These women are eager to go and care for the body of Jesus because they loved him so. And so nothing would really hold them back except for the Sabbath and except for darkness, which is just prudent, okay? That's just a wise thing. But the earliest opportunity they get, they go straight to the tomb to look for him so that they could do what they needed to do for him. However, they find there something they didn't expect. The first thing they find is that the tomb itself is not covered up anymore. They had probably heard or been told by somebody that the tomb was going to be covered up. The tomb was supposed to be covered up so that nobody could go in and steal the body and then say, look, an empty tomb. Like, it's very smart, right? He's not here. This is something, something has happened. And so they set a guard by the tomb. All right, they, all these things were set in, in motion so that nobody could go and steal the body of Jesus and claim something that wasn't true. But they come and they find that this stone has been moved and there is access to Jesus' tomb. What do they do next? Verse 3, they entered in. They went looking for the body of Jesus. They said, well, this is handy. The stone's not there anymore, so let's go in and do what we came here to do. But they found nothing. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, it says. So... Later on, we'll see that Jesus finds a clue in there, but they don't notice it, evidently, or at least there's no mention of them noticing anything. We'll get to that in a while. But right now, there's nothing that really proves anything. They're really just left with a puzzle, two puzzles. The stone is rolled away. How? We don't know. The tomb is empty. How? They don't know. And so, look at verse 4. They began to wonder about what this might mean. And this word wonder here, I want to focus on it because there's actually two different times when wondering happens in this passage, this time and later on with Peter. And, and it's important to note that these words are actually different words in Greek. They're not the same word. They happen to be translated the same way in this translation of the Bible, but they're not the same word, okay? Um, they're wondering, what does this mean? And I think one of the challenges for them is that for 36 hours, they've been thinking about what they were going to do. I can get stuck on an idea. I don't know if you're like that, like that too. You're like, in 30, you know, <laughs> I want to finish what I've given mental energy to. Do you know what I'm saying, right? I've got to make that phone call, but I can't call those people until Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And so if I spend all weekend thinking, all right, I've got to call them on Monday, I've got to call them on Monday... If I were then to pick up the phone on Monday morning and not get a dial tone, right? What is my brain going to do? My brain is really frustrated. I, I've been planning this, all right? They've been planning to embalm the body of Jesus for 36 hours. They got up early to get there. They went to the spice merchant and they bought these spices. They prepared them at home. 
They brought them with them. All this planning had gone in. And so is it possible that in this moment of finding the tomb empty, they were thinking, all these plans I've been making, I can't do them now. And did I keep the receipt from the spice merchant? Because I, maybe I can take this back. Or where's the body? How am I going to get closure on this thing that I was set to do, which was to embalm a body? And so it goes to show that humans get stuck and fixated on things. The word for wondering here means a bit like confusion, but it also has an element of anxiety built into it. It actually could mean anxious. They were anxiously confused or wondering what was going on. What am I going to do with this stuff? How am I going to finish what I've started? And so this is the first kind of wondering that we see in this passage. It's, um, the Greek word is aporeo. It means to be at a loss, to be confused, to have a touch of anxiety. Uh, John, the Gospel of John uses it. Uh, when in John chapter 13, it says, the disciples were at a loss to understand what Jesus meant. This is a common theme with the disciples. They were confused by what he said, but also slightly anxious by what he said because they couldn't understand it. Um, so it's the kind of wondering that you can get, it's the kind of anxiety you can get when you're stuck. And there's no indication here that they were going to solve this one anytime soon. But it's in that moment then that these two men appear, and it doesn't say they're angels, but they're men dressed in really bright, dazzling white clothes, so I'm going to go with angel. Is that okay? Does any objections? I'm going to say angels, messengers from God, are there to give them a message, and this is a very good message. And I think these angels capture exactly what's going on for them, because they ask this very interesting rhetorical question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that insightful of these angels? They know what's going on in this moment. Why are you focused on embalming a dead body? All the energy around that, all the anxiety around that because he's not here. And you're so stuck in that that you cannot see or remember what this actually means. Now they're going to tell them what this actually means. He is not here. You got that right. But the reason is not because he's been stolen or that he's revived and wandered off or any of that. It's because he's been raised, and so he's left. He's not here, and this is the empty tomb. This is what Easter is about. What else do they say? Remember. This is such an important word here. Remember, remember, remember what he said, remember what he did, remember who he was, remember. I'm going to give you an example from Luke, just this gospel, but there's other places, other gospels where it talks about it. In Luke 9.22, he says this to his disciples. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed Okay, we got that. And on the third day, be raised to life. Was any of that unclear? I mean, did we? 
is that, was Jesus being too complex in the way he formulated this? Okay. Luke 18, 31, a slim nine, verse, nine chapters later. It says this. Look at verse 31. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Luke 18, 31 and 32. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up. This is the, this is the, like, the expanded version, okay? This is the expanded version. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Is any of that unclear? I mean, okay. On the third day, he will rise again. That was pretty clear, wasn't it? I mean, this is also very memorable. So specific, so detailed, so graphic. That's the kind of thing you remember, isn't it? When somebody says something like that to you. But what does verse 34 say? The disciples did not understand any of this. That's what it says. What's going on with the disciples? What's going on with the followers of Jesus? They hear what they want to hear. They, they don't hear what they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear about the crucifixion. The crucifixion captures them all by surprise, doesn't it? They're like, this was not the plan. No, this was the plan. This was the plan. This was always the plan. No, 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 no. Even Peter says, no, Jesus, we're not going to, that's the wrong idea. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is the plan. It's always the plan to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. But that's not the only part of the plan. Yes, he will die, but on the third day he will be raised again. So, this is what he said to them over and over and over again. And do we think that just because it's here in the gospel two times that these are the only two times that Jesus said this to them? There may have been other times when he said this that it just isn't written down. Isn't that possible? I think it is. But yet nobody remembers. Why? Because we can look for the living among the dead, and not realize it. This is the, what it means to be human. This is the challenge. And so this is where wondering comes in. Wondering means we're embracing and facing a mental challenge to us that has this ability to transform us. And so wondering and you mapped, wondering and remembering, and you have a really potent way of transformation coming into your life. So, it was a surprise. But behind it all is really an invitation to believe. And that's really the central question of Christianity. This is today's today where we actually ask ourselves the central question of Christianity, okay? Which is, do we believe that Jesus said he would die and then be raised. Do we believe that he would actually said that? And then, do we believe that after he died, he was actually raised? Everything hinges on this, right? Everything hinges on this. On this. You know, it's possible, I suppose, to believe that he said this, but not that he did it. And I think some Christians are in this spot, all right? I think some Christians say, 
Yeah, he said he'd be raised, but maybe he wasn't actually raised. But the problem with that is that would make him a liar, wouldn't it? And if Jesus is a liar, I kind of think you have to take everything else he said and diminish its power, right? Because if he's lied about that, what else has he lied about? So either Jesus is a liar or Jesus is not a liar. And if he's not a liar, then what he told us was the truth. And so it really does matter if he was raised from the dead physically. You know, there's a lot of people I think, and I've met them, and I, I understand this, that they like the wise words of Jesus. They like parts of the Sermon on the Mount. They like the golden rule. They like the one that says, do not worry about tomorrow. I like that one. You know, that feels good. Uh, I, they like the one where Jesus says, love one another. That feels great. Good advice, right? But they don't want the cross. And they don't want the resurrection. That's too heavy. That's too dark. That's too negative. It's too miraculous. It's too impossible. We're stuck. We're looking for the living among the dead. We cannot comprehend a miracle so great. We cannot wake up from a dream where we think someone's alive and find them alive. That's too hard to do. So yes, say love one another all you want, but raised from the dead? I don't know. That's asking too much for me to believe. I asked Adele to read a few verses earlier, and this is why. Paul writes it well in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope. Because if there's no resurrection, nothing Jesus said is true. And if there's no resurrection, nothing we believe matters. And we've really been wasting our time and I know you guys have other careers besides me, but I've made a career out of this, and I have been wasting a lot of energy. I went to seminary for like, supposed to take four years, but I squeezed it into six, you know. It took a lot of my life. For a joke? For a fairy tale? I hope not. I hope not. If he is not raised from the dead, what does Paul say? And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. It all hinges on that. Do you get that? If Christ has not been raised, you could all be watching TV at home or doing something or reading the New York Times in bed, which sounds like fun to me. You know, the Sunday edition is really thick and it's full of, like, the style section. You could be there. No, you're here because Christ has been raised. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all the people, and especially the pastors in this room, because we're just, at least you're paying us. Praise God. But the missionaries who raise their own support, I really feel for them. Can you imagine raising all that money? For just a joke? Asking people for money? That would stink. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. But what, he, what does he say? But Christ has been raised. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Without the resurrection, nothing else means anything. You're not supposed to admit it, but does anyone here, have any of you read novels by John Irving? 
Yay! The World According to Garp, or A Prayer for Owen Meany. And actually, all of his books end up being like the same book. Have you noticed it's like the same book? So you can stop reading them after all, because you know, you know that the protagonist is going to die like three-quarters of the way through the book. There, that's it. I, sorry, I spoiled all John Irving books for you. Just don't bother. The protagonist dies three-quarters of the way through the book, and then they spend the last quarter of the book processing it. You know, It's dark. But there's a really delightful book. I think it is actually a little more different than the rest of his books. It's called A Prayer for Owen Meany. He's this little sort of deformed boy who's really insightful. And he talks in a really high-pitched voice. And there's a reason for that. It's so that later in life he can learn how to speak Vietnamese and save some children from a grenade. It's convoluted, as John Irving books are. But this is what, this is what Owen Meany says. And he's not really even a believer much. I mean, he's not ultimately a believer, but this is his observation about Christians from the outside. He says, anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. He's talking about Christmas. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas. But, Owen Meany says, Easter is the main event. This is the most important day of our year. Did you know that? It's more important than Christmas. It really is. Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. This is a non-believer saying that, almost. If you don't believe in Easter, Owen Meany said, don't kid yourself. Don't call yourself a Christian. Wow. John Irving. Interesting that somebody like that would write this. So let's go back. It says, here's the turning point in our story, in our passage. The women remembered his words. Wondering plus remembering come together and create transformation. And the implication is that when they, this is when they believed. This is when they got it. This is the aha moment. This is when they were able to drop the planning and go, forget about the receipt, forget about the spices. They probably just dropped them at their feet right at that moment. They said, clearly we do not need these things anymore. There is no use. You cannot embalm a living body. They dropped that very symbolically. They dropped these spices. They dropped their plans. They dropped their fixation with the dead body, which was respectful, but they came to a realization that now only one thing matters. And it's not doing a culturally sensitive thing, but it's to go and hurry and speak. So transformation leads to speaking. It leads to proclamation. It leads to proclaiming what has happened. So the pieces fall in place. They're changed as people who are looking for the living in the place of the dead and into people who are bringing the word of life to the spiritually dead bringing this word of life to the disciples, the 11 who ran away and, and, and gathered again together. And so they come back. If you believe in proper burials, you bring spices and embalm a body, and then you're done. But if you believe in the resurrection, you bring the word, and you never stop. You never stop bringing the word. So that's what they do. They go back. They tell the 11 remaining apostles and we're, no, we're not told what exactly they say, but I think one word they might have used is remember. Like telling them, the disciples, remember what he said? Like it was very clear back in chapter 9, and they didn't have the chapters then, back then, but 
you know, back in Galilee, and then again here, we're going to Jerusalem. Remember what he said. Remember what he did. Remember who he was. So here's a, here's a point where the story, as cheerful as it is, I find takes kind of a sad turn. It's, it's, it's in the realm of mansplaining. Do you know what mansplaining is? Because if I were to explain it to you, I would do it, so I'm not going to do it. But Adele, what is mansplaining? and talk over you maybe. Yeah, okay. So I, I, did I do okay by not doing it? You did. Yay! Pat, pat, pat. No. Uh, but here these, they get the news, but the source, the source was difficult for them. Josephus writes in his Antiquities that in jurisprudence at that time, when he, he kind of had a chapter about law and judges and courts and things like that, and who could testify and whose testimony was reliable. He writes that women's testimony was not considered reliable at that time. So here's a, here's a challenge culturally, is the women are entrusted with the message by God. They're the first to come to the tomb. They bring, and it's not just one or two or three, there's more than three women, if you look at the list, there's more than three women who come all with the same experience. They come and explain it to the disciples, and what does it say? These men are such jerks. I can't get over it. Right? Look at that. Verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like them, to them like nonsense. Is that sad? Sorry to take a darker turn at this moment. But I think that's also the reality of where they were. They too were stuck. This was too big a miracle to really believe at first. And I think this is the reality of the word when you proclaim it. As often it's not enough to proclaim it one time. It's such good news, it's such miraculous news, that it takes multiple tellings for it to really sink in. It takes some telling and some remembering and some telling and some remembering and some wondering before it sets in. And so maybe... The genders here don't even matter that much, possibly. Maybe it's just this is too radical news for us to wrap our heads around in such a short amount of time. To his credit, at least one of them went to investigate the claim himself, and that was Peter. He run, Not only does he go, he runs there, doesn't he? He got up and he ran to the tomb. If you read the... Um, the account in John, um, it says that uh, one of them was faster than the other. I don't know why those details are in there. Like, one's a better runner than the other? It's like, he had been jogging more. I don't know. But in this case, we just hear the story about Jesus. He gets up. He runs to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And so now we have that second experience of the empty tomb. And another clue. These linens that the body would have been wrapped in, they've, the body has been unwrapped. So some more clues are coming out. The body's been unwrapped. The body is not there. The linens are lying there by themselves. And what does it say? He went away wondering to himself what had happened. And here's the second wondering of our story. 
he was wondering. Um, this is a different word. The other first one was aporeo. This word is thaumazo. Thaumazo. And it's a different kind of wondering. It's more like surprise or wonder or amazement or I think my favorite is to marvel over something like, wow. It doesn't have that negative baggage of anxiety hanging on it anywhere. It's actually more open to possibility. I like this. And so there's already a change in how people are processing the empty tomb. At first, it's a bit with anxiety and fear. Now it's more like amazement and marveling and wonder. What could this mean? So it's more hopeful. And I think that's where we, we want to end on Easter. We want to wonder, we want to marvel, we want to stand in awe, and we want to ask, what does this mean? And we ask it in the sense, if the resurrection makes all the difference in the world, and without the resurrection, nothing really matters for us, if it's the most important event in the world and in all of history, if without the resurrection we're without hope and with it we're utterly transformed, what does it mean to believe in the resurrection? What does it mean for you tomorrow? What does it mean for you next week? What does it mean in your family that new life comes? What does it mean for the people who know you? Well, I'll give you a few ideas. One thing is I think it means we remember. This is the command of the angels. Remember what he said. And it means that we tell as well. We remember what he says, and then we tell what we know, what we've experienced, and we tell it again, and we keep telling, and we find other people to tell. And we say, this is the main event. Christ is risen. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. This is the news. We keep telling people. If Christ is not raised, we are to be pitied. But Paul says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And all those who belong to him will be raised from the dead. And he will defeat his enemies. And the last enemy to be defeated will be death. That's the news. That's the news we tell. That's the news we remember. And so I invite you now to a moment of wondering. You may already believe in the resurrection. Praise God. You may believe that Christ physically raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples and to many other people. And praise God that you do because it means your faith is not in vain. But I want you to wonder and remember that if that all is true, what is Easter in your life? What new life comes from your faith? What new frontiers and adventures is God going to take you on? Because this is true. You cannot be not transformed by news like this. If it's not transforming you, you may not be wondering or remembering enough. And I'm going to put it kind of strongly like that. I'm saying it to myself, honestly, because I think apathy can set in. But if this is true, and I think it's true, it changes everything for me and for you and for us. It's about new life breaking in. It's about victory over death. The dream that someone's alive will actually come true someday, praise God, because of this. And my own hope 
that as I get older, I'm 49 and I'm with a cohort of people who are 49 and 50 this year and it's kind of an interesting year. Um, the anxiety about that is going down all the time, praise God. It's inevitable anyways, but besides that, I'm in good hands. In two years, I'm going to outlive my father. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a strange thing to say? But, and praise, praise God, and hopefully I will, for the sake of my children. But even if I don't, I have this hope. My faith, my life, my hope is not in vain. It's not futile. Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who believe. So I want to give you an invitation this morning. In a moment, we're going to begin an Easter invitation. It's next after this. There's going to be some music. A few of us are going to read out loud from up here. Um, it's something that came from Anne Graham Lotz, and we want to sort of reproduce it here for you. And there's a time that you could just come up here if you want and sit in the front row and pray, or you can pray where you are to receive some transformation, to receive new hope. After the worship service is over, I'll stay up here. If you want to come up here and pray with me or with Pastor Victoria, then come on up here. But there's this invitation here to, to both wonder and to remember and to invite the transformation and new life that God wants to bring. And so come up to pray for a new life, new life in your job, in your home, for you, for your family, for our church, for our nation, and for our world. Pray up here, receive what God has for you, um, and come and receive this. But let's just say another word of thank you to God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, that the tomb was empty and the news went forth that he is risen and all life makes sense now. Amen.